our loyal, wonderful few of you that there are. Hi. Thanks for still being here, if you are. Yes, we appreciate you if you have followed us this far. We know that we were not here last week. Um, We're sorry. We had a whole lot going on. Shit happened, guys, and it just... It it just wasn't gonna happen. We were gonna try, and we it it just it it, it wasn't gonna happen. And then I had a whole bunch of technical issues, anyways. And then I tried to get a message up, but it only hit on Anchor, so nobody actually like heard it. So <laughs> we're still here. We're really sorry. Um, we tried to tell you guys that we were gonna be back. So hopefully, um, we didn't lose too many of you last week. We apologize. Um. I think this week's going to be a good one. Um, happy Halloween, since we missed that to everybody. Um, we're now in November. Holy shit. Yep. Um, Lily's birthday is going to come out the day after this comes out. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's going to be two. My little baby. Huh, little tiny. Tiny's going to be two. Um, that's weird. Uh, ready for this year to be over. Really ready. Oh, God. So much. All the election bullshit. I'm not even going to get into any of that. Just be safe, everybody. Be smart. Um, let's not, like, ruin our cities or anything, please. Yeah. That'd be good. Yes, please. Um, you had updates. Uh, yeah, two. You, you said one of them was Amy-related, correct? Yep. Our good old mother god, people. I can do her first. Yeah. So we you brought her up. <laughs> we, you guys all know the one. We know. Come on. Oh, yeah. And... I like to talk about her. I keep following her, so I probably will continue to do updates about her because I follow, I still follow her and I'm still a part of her weird shit. And I mean, guys, Amy. It's Amy. We can't, it's I need so to know when this bitch dies, honestly, because it's going to happen. Well, um, most recently, the Love Has One Exposed Facebook group um, posted that Amy has been blocked on Facebook again for right now, so she's in Facebook jail. <laughs> Um, and this is a quote from the Love is One Exposed group, because I thought it was really funny. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Love is One team, let me get this straight. Mom created everything, except for stinging insects and cactus, including the great web of light. The internet and social media are 3D physical manifestations of the web of light. So please explain how these entities have the power to censor God's expressions on her own creation. And if she does not have the ability to express herself on her own creation, she's a pretty lame god. Weak sauce, actually. I just can't fathom it. Okay, I have a couple things to say here. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> okay. I had to say it. So first of all, at the very beginning, <coughs> you said something really? about stinging cactus sex? No, stinging insects and cactus. Those are the two Wait, things. You said stinging insect and cactus? Yeah, so stinging insects. Okay, and see, cactus. I thought you said... Cacti. Stingy, I th- I seriously thought you said like stinging sex and cactus or something along those lines, and I was like, hold up. <laughs> why why are we having sex in a cactus for one? Okay, so glad we could pe- go past that. But okay, yeah, no, good. those are the two things that supposedly were not her doing. So. Stinging and wow. Okay, okay. Um, that just brings up a whole nother fucking topic, but we're just gonna slide past that. Second of all, you literally just said it yourself. Like you said. If she's this and this and this, then how did you block her? If she's blocked, then that means she's not all that. You just said it! Well, this She's is, not all that. This is the Love is One exposed group. Oh, so this is the one. Okay. So, okay. That makes more sense. Because I was about to be like, bitch, 
you just totally contradicted yourself. Yeah, no, like, no. what the fuck? Okay. These are the people that are like, she's crazy, and this is why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said it great. That was I, all. I loved the quote, perfect. and that's why I read it, because I was like, this is fantastic. No, perfect. Not my quote, love has one exposed Facebook group. <laughs> Go look it up, because I'm about to. I don't know why I haven't yet, because this is freaking amazing. They post some good stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, see, but I like to hear it from you, too, so maybe I won't. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay, my other one is Keith Rainier of the Nexium group. Okay. He was, and this was this was a couple weeks ago now, because I had this note. Oh, yeah, because you did tell me. But he has been sentenced. And he was sentenced to 120 years for turning some of his adherents into sex slaves and branding them with his initials. Good. Bye. Yeah. He deserved every second of that 120 year sentence. Yes. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Have fun in jail. All I got to say. Okay. That's all my updates. Uh, oh, well, because we watched that one. We watched some Hulu documentary about, and I feel really bad for not remembering her name now. It was that girl that went missing. Or no, she got killed and we couldn't figure out who their her murderer was or whatever. And then that like next morning the dude was on the news. Um, it was his neighbor, the the Kegel guy, Skagel. Oh. Michael oh, Skagel. Oh yeah. Oh. The guy's name was Michael Skagel. That's what it was. I and I cannot remember the woman's name, and that's horrible of me because she's the victim of the story. But oh, long story short, like this man was arrested for her murder, and she was, and she then was like, she was they were 15. all teenagers. Yeah, he was a teenager when it happened too. It was a whole thing, right? But yeah, so he was arrested, and then he got let off, and then he was supposed to get like a retrial or something, and they just announced that he's not getting a retrial. And I'm very convinced that he did it, and I'm very sorry for her family, and I'm so mad at myself that I cannot remember her name. <sighs> but it was really good documentary we watched honestly yeah and i can't fucking remember her name oh i'm sorry rest in peace okay that's enough uh babbling for an opening hi guys we missed you sorry <laughs> it's been two weeks you up on. for real <laughs> for real that's what happens when we miss a week um okay so my whole day today has just been full of um aliens and different stories about weed and whatnot so that's just what we're going with I have an alien story with you today. <laughs> um, so I am talking today about Travis Walton. Um, so <laughs> Barney and Betty, which you covered, was mm-hmm. like the first documented alien abduction story. Right. This is pretty much like the second one. Oh, okay. Um, so it's one of, it's pretty much the only abduction case with multiple eyewitnesses. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Um... So this came 10 years, roughly, after Barney and Betty, um, and this was the first case to actually get, like, scientific attention. Um, okay. Because Barney and Betty didn't quite so much. No, that was, I mean, that was a long time. I mean, that was, because, yeah, this is in 75, so that was in 65 or earlier. So, I mean, yeah. See, like I felt like it was in the 50s, but maybe I'm wrong about my timeline. <laughs> I mean, or my information could have been wrong. It was M, so I'm going to assume they were well, right. But No, I yeah, I don't doubt them. I mean, but regardless, (laughs) scientists were not so much, I mean, that was also the first one, so I'm sure. They probably didn't even know what to do with that. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, this was a a big, big story. So, we're in Snowflake, Arizona. 
What a strange name. Especially for an Arizona town. Like, I thought you asked me about Alabama earlier. I did, because I was watching my show where they were in Alabama. Oh. Yeah, no, that had nothing to do with my story. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching uh, Heart of Dixie on Netflix, well, if then you all want to know. So I'm just like, oh, okay, so that's what we're doing. Okay. Well, yeah, no, because I was asking her about snow in Alabama. Long story. But no, this is Snowflake, Arizona, which is also... Okay. Snowflake, Arizona. It's a snowflake desert. Okay, makes Perfect. sense. Um, so it's in November. Um, Travis is 22, and he works with the United Forest Service um, in Arizona. Okay. And his best friend, uh, Mike, who is also engaged to Travis's sister, and they end up getting married. So I end up... Brother-in-law. Re- yeah, I end up preferring to him as brother-in-law. Um, so it's him and Mike and... Four other guys, so there's six of them total that are all on this crew, and so they're out there, like, I'm assuming, like, they do, like, fire prevention stuff and, like, cut down trees and, you know, all the forest service, whatnot. So they're doing all that stuff, and after their long day's work, they, like, all six of them hop into Mike's truck, so, like, I'm assuming at least three of them are going to be in the bed. Right. Um, So they just all hop in, and they start driving back to Snowflake. And, um, as they're driving, they see, like, a bright light, like, off into the distance in the trees, and they're like, okay, that's weird, but that's the direction that they have to go anyway, so they just keep driving towards it. And, like, the closer they get to it, they can see that there's, like, it's not just, like, a light, there's, like, an an object. And one of the men at one point was like, no, it almost looks like a plane, like, crashed into, like, the trees or something. Like, there's metal, like, maybe we should go look or something. Weird. So they still just are just on their route, honestly, and, like, they get to a position where, like, the trees are no longer in the way, and they can see this crazy-ass fucking thing. So Mike, who is driving, like, immediately shuts off the engine, and, like, all six men are, like, leaning out the truck, like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, like, holy shit, what did we just find? And there, right in front of them, hovering 20 feet above them, was a large golden disc-like vehicle. Golden? <coughs> yeah. I've never heard that. I feel like it's usually a silver. Or, like, metallic-y. Yeah. Metallic, non-specific. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, Travis describes this as so... So, I actually read... Um, he ended up writing a book about this, and I read um, quite a bit of... Um, like the abduction part of the book just to kind of get his side of things. And this is a quote from it. Um, it's quote, I estimated the object to have an overall diameter of 15 or 20 feet. It was eight or 10 feet thick. The flattened disc had a shape like that of two gigantic pie pans placed lip to lip with a small round bowl turned upside down on the top. Barely visible at our angle of sight, the white dome peeked over the upper outline of the ship. We could see darker stripes of a dull silver sheen that divided the glowing areas into panel-like sections. The dim yellowish light given off by the surface had the luster of hot metal fresh from a blast furnace. End quote. So that is basically where we get our idea of what a spaceship looks like. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, I picture like two... 
saucers on top of each other, so it's kind of rounded on both sides. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking around. Yeah, like that yeah, little, yeah, that's we a have. Donut, but you know what I mean. Or my my best friend just gave me a, an, a belly button ring that has, well, that's a planet, but it, it looks like that too, but. Like, and then the little ball on top where somebody could, like, poke their little head out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, I mean, that's what people think of when they think of alien spaceship, I think. Exactly. So, I think yeah. that's, this is probably where we got that whole idea. Um, so, da, 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 da. oh, shit, went too far. Hold on. Lost my spot. Okay, so, at this point, they're all just, like, fixated on the machine, and then they kind of, like, snap back into reality, and they're all just, like... Like, you can kind of hear their hearts pounding, and they're like, oh, fuck. Like, what do we do now? Like, we just found this thing, but what's our next step? Right. And so, all of a sudden, Travis just, like, jumps out of the car and starts running towards it. Okay. And all of them are just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, Yeah, like, please get back into the car. And, like, he kind of starts to slow down and, like, turns around and looks at them. And then he's just like, no, like, I gotta go. And, like, just keeps walking towards it. And he gets to where he's, like, just about to where he's, like, directly underneath it. And um, he later in an interview said that, like, he couldn't explain it. He just felt like he had to go and see it. Like, he thought it was going to take off and he just wanted to see it before it left kind of thing. Um, So he is standing pretty much, like, underneath the ship. And all of a sudden it sounded like all these, like, turbines started up. And even, like, the men in the truck heard this, too. So all six men are hearing, like, these sounds coming from it. Like, the motor's kicking on kind of thing. Yeah. And so Travis is still just, like, underneath it, like, looking up at it, staring up at it. And all of a sudden, it starts to, like, wobble. And the way they described it is, like, so if you're spinning, like, a spinning top, and, like, right before it, like, dies out and it just kind of, like, wobbles. exactly what I was imagining. (laughs) Yeah. So that's exactly what it, it started to wobble. And then, um... So here's another quote from Travis, um, quote, I ducked into a crouch when a tremendously bright blue green ray shot from the bottom of the craft. I saw and heard nothing. All I felt was a numbing force of a blow that felt like a high voltage electrocution. The intense bolt made a sharp cracking, sharp cracking or popping sound. The stunning concussion of the foot wide beam struck me full in the chest and head. My mind sank quickly into unfeeling blackness i didn't even see what hit me but for but from the but from the instant i felt that paralyzing blow i did not see hear or feel anything more end quote so all of the men were in the truck and they see this blue green light hit travis right in the chest oh my god he's dead (laughs) well so they see him like Honestly, I picture, like, any, like, movie, because they say that it, like, hits him, and he, like, levitates, like, with his arms and legs back, but, like, his, like, his back arched up. Ew. And then all, like, something was, like, holding his chest up. Yes, yeah, and, like, pulling him up, like, from his chest, and then just, like, dropped him. And he just, like, hit the ground on his shoulder and, like, slammed into the fucking ground. Ow. And... So all the men see this, and at the point when they, like, he hits the ground... They just, like, fear hits them, and Mike starts the truck, and they're just like, bye. They left him there? <laughs> yeah. What assholes? They were just like, nope, we're fucking out. We, we quit. We saw enough. Bye. And they wow. fucking leave. What dicks. But, okay. So Don't be Travis's friends. But they do redeem themselves. Because they, like, start driving, and then they're like, oh, fuck, we left Travis. 
like, no, oh, they we, were just so scared we need to go like back. on instinct. I think so. Cause they were like, fuck, wait, Travis. And so they flip a bitch and they go back, but Travis is gone. Oh no. And so. See, see what you get for leaving him behind? <laughs> Bad know. fucking friends. For real. Like guys, I know you came back, but you shouldn't have left friend in the first place. You could have at least seen him get taken. At least something. I don't know. Just don't leave your friends when that shit happens. Anyways. No. Like, come on. Um, same thing. Don't leave your friends at a bar. Yes. Period. Anyway, continue. Buddy system. <laughs> Buddy system. Um, so, yeah. So they come back. Travis is gone. So they start looking everywhere. And they're like, okay. Like, he's fucking gone. So they call the police. They file a missing person. Um, Deputy Sheriff Ellison um, was the one that took the call and met with them. And he was quoted saying, quote, if they were acting, then they were awfully good at it, end quote. Um, he said that two of the men were crying at this point, and he could tell that all of them were, like, fucking terrified. Oh, no. Like, so, like, a bunch of search people, a bunch of police officers, dogs, helicopters, like, everybody was coming to look for Travis. Like, there was no sign of him, like, no prints, like... There was no trail of any sort. Like, there was nothing. And at this point, they were like, okay, yeah, like, you say he got abducted by aliens. But it's November. He's going to fucking freeze to death and die. Like, we need to find him. Like, right. They're they're looking at it as a missing person, not an alien abduction. Of course. But so... Um, you need to tell us where he is. Right, absolutely. So they keep looking and nobody can find him. Um, so they went and told his mom and... She responded with, does anybody else know about this yet? I'm sorry. So that's what the police said. <laughs> They're like, okay, wait, what did you just say? So that raised some suspicion there. So then um, mom becomes a suspect and she calls her other son, Dwayne, and he drove into Snowflake and... Um, he starts helping look with the search and everything. And at this point, all of his friends are also being questioned because they all think that it was like a homicide that they all planned. Yeah, you murdered him. Right. So these five guys are being investigated for murder at this point. And mom knows about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, every literally everybody at this point in Travis's life is just like, one of you killed him. That's what everybody's And thinking. all of you are covering this. Exactly. Like, no, this is not, this isn't real. So, um, there is this, so at this point, like, there's UFO people coming, there's cops from other counties coming, there's the military. Everybody is coming, <laughs> trying to fucking find Travis. And so, Fred Salvanis, um, was one of the people that came and interviewed, um, I know that name. Is he the a friends? ufologist? Yes. Okay. Um, he, <laughs> I love that you knew that. <laughs> God, we have issues. It's fine. Um, so <laughs> Mike said that he he was going to end his contract with the Forest Service. He was like, nope, I can't complete it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And Dwayne, his brother, said that when him and Travis were kids, they were always, like, super interested in UFOs and whatnot. And said that if they ever saw one, that they would take the chance and run up to it. Interesting. So, I don't know if their whole family has just always been very interested in UFOs their whole life, or... He's like, I get to meet an alien. Right, so he's like, oh my god, I get my chance, my brother's gonna be so proud of me. 
Like, that would be... If you ever fucking saw an alien didn't run up to it for me, I would kill you. Just telling you now. You take your chance and tell me what the fuck that shit is. If no, I'm not with you. you. No, you're doing it. You don't no. get the chance. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we meet Marshall Flake. Yes, we have a flake of snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> this story Sorry. is fake. You made this up. Okay, so... <laughs> Exactly the point that M said that part in her story. Christine said, "You made this shit up." So <laughs> why don't I remember this? I don't know how you don't remember this because as soon as I re-listened to it, I remembered it instantly. Um, so that's funny. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, so Mr. Flake came Snowflake, or was in Snowflake. I don't know, but he, he created came, it. it probably. So he came and he suggested that the mom was hiding something or someone, and so that, which, I mean, with the response you fucking gave to the cops, everybody's looking at you, bitch. No, like, what the fuck? That's the weirdest, that's the weirdest response. Your to, son is missing. Does anybody else know? Or did you say, like, your son is missing because he think, like, his friends think he got abducted by aliens, and, like, that's the part you don't want to be? I don't know. Regardless, Weird. Don't no, say that. Like, if somebody you know goes missing, don't say that to the cops. Especially if it's your child. What the hell? Yeah, like, no. Bad response. Um, So he came and was like, no, mom knows something. So that made her, like, super paranoid. And she refused to do, like, any interviews with anybody at her house. So, like, if anybody wanted to talk to her, it had to be away from her house. Because she thought that everybody was going to, like, search through her shit. Oh, I'm like, why? Does she think her house is bugged? And if so... I, I, I don't know. No, <laughs> she just didn't want people to go through her shit and find, By I don't what? know what. Her weird alien fucking shrine? <laughs> At this point, who fucking knows? The shrine to Barney and Betty. It's fine. That's all it is. Um, <coughs> so now we meet Mr. Spaulding, who worked with the Ground Saucer Watch. <coughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. It's fine. <coughs> <coughs> okay, go We ahead. don't have Rona, we promise. No, um, I just choke on myself all the time. So yeah, so this is the and it was literally called the GSW. GSW. Yeah, it's the Ground Saucer. What did I say? Where the fuck did I go? Ground Saucer Watch, but they called it the GSW. Which I've watched enough Grey's Anatomy. I just think of gunshot wound when I hear GSW. But anyways, all I think of is the watch, like the movie The Watch. That movie's so sad. No, it's not. The watch with, uh... Isn't that the one with Jake Gyllenhaal where he dies? No, or I'm the... talking about the one with Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. Oh! And... <laughs> I'm thinking end of watch. I, I'm I, talking my no watch. Okay, we were on two completely different pages there. It's fine. We're good. We're back. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, ground saucer watch peep person. So, he came and he was like, okay, so, what if and... Well, I guess, I don't... He said, if and when you find Travis... Um, we want to provide a doctor to examine him and, um, you know, cause he was totally on board with, he got abducted and we want to examine him when we get him back. Of course. He's, he's part of the, the ground saucer watch. Yeah, exactly. So he also told everybody, if you find him, you need to tell him not to pee just in case they injected you with something. I'm that sorry. was his main concern. But how is peeing going to affect the fact? I'm confused. Uh, he just, that was his thing. Just okay. Just make sure he doesn't pee. So, five days later, 
He wanted to like collect his urine or what? Like yes. Oh, okay. And like test it. Okay. So he wanted it to be like fresh. Yeah, to see if there was like any like toxins or right. Yeah, he didn't pee it up before he got a chance. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, five days later, we find Travis. Five days. Ooh. Yeah. So. Before we find him, like, he's at this point, like, it's day five and we know now that he was walking around. But as he is, like, just now waking up and doing his thing, all of his friends and Mike are taking polygraphs. And every single one of them came back that, like, no, like, these men truly believe that they saw a UFO. They saw Travis get hit by this beam of light and they had nothing to do with him disappearing. They didn't hurt him. Like, there's no doubt about it. You left him in the field? I mean, yes, you did do that. But at this point, (laughs) they're cleared of murder charges, which is nice. (laughs) And at this point, all of them are like, okay, but they either, like, if, if this UFO was fake, like, they at least had no idea about it. Like, they truly believe that they saw something based off of these polygraphs. Right. Um, so now we're going to get into Travis's side of this story. So. He made the whole thing up. <laughs> we get to a part at the end that some skeptic says some shit and it's so fucking irritating, but we'll get there. Um, so the last thing he remembers, um, so he remembers the blue green light that hit him. And then he remembers waking up. Excuse me. Whew. Wine burp. Um, he woke up and he was on a reclined bed with a bright light above him and the air was heavy and wet. He also saw that there was like a machine that, so it went, he said it went from like, like his collarbone to like just over his belt and it just like curved just to like his sides. Like pinning him down? No, it was like a machine, so it wasn't even touching him, but it looked like it was like scanning him. So I like oh, an MRI kind of. That's but what. That's literally what I was thinking. So like, it's like a half cylinder that was just like hovering, like covering his torso, that he saw was like on top Maybe of him. It was like a little X-ray machine. That's what I'm thinking. And he was like, but there was like no cords or anything attached to it, so he was like, I don't know how it was just like. I don't need that big hovering, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> 75 outer space technology was on point, right? <laughs> just saying. Um, so he was having trouble breathing at first, and but like he honestly thought that he had just woke up in a normal hospital, so he didn't like think anything of it. And then he realized that like there was people around him, but they weren't nurses. They were wearing orange jumpsuits. He's like, "Am I in prison?" And then he realized <laughs> that these people weren't even human. Um, they were no taller than five feet, bald-headed. Um, their heads were domed and very large. Um, he said that they looked like giant fetuses. Their eyes okay. were bright with little white in them. Like, they were... So black. Yeah, so they were big black with little white in them. And then, like, their ears and nose and mouth looked really small. And he didn't know if it was just because their eyes were so big or if they were just, like, really small. Um, and then, like, their jaw was very, like, pointed. It was smaller than the head. Much smaller than the head, so. So he is where we get the idea for the face. I'm assuming, yes. So, at this point, he was really weak and in a lot of pain, but, like, his adrenaline hit him and he got so scared that he just, like, shot out of bed at the sight of these creatures in front of him. 
And at that point, the machine that was on top of him had fell into the floor. And he was like, again, there's like no wires or anything attached to this thing. So what the fuck? Um, and he like was holding himself up against the wall and he just like grabbed the nearest object off of a table and it was a thin transparent cylinder. So it was like glass-like and he was like, well, this is too light to use as a club or something. So he wanted to break it and make it sharp, but he could not break it. So at that point he just like, they were just looking at him like, what is wrong with you? You poor little stupid human. Right? Like, oh, sweetheart, just stop while you're ahead. (laughs) And so at this point, he's just like, I can't fucking break this thing. So he just starts waving it around and screaming at him to go away. And whether it was out of fear or out of annoyance or whatever, they leave. And they're just like, we're just going to let you calm down. Have your little fit. Yeah. Just we'll calm. come back later. Yeah. Like, you need to just calm down for a sec. So at this point, he was like, no, nah, I need to get the fuck out. So he started, he left the room and started to try to find a way out. He ran down this hallway that literally just curved right the whole time so i imagine you being on a circular ship i imagine xenon so he's in a hamster wheel see i picture xenon where yeah it's just all a circle um so he finds an open door and he goes in and it's a round room about 16 feet across with a domed ceiling about 10 feet high that's very specific he remembers measurements he was very specific with measurements about everything it was weird too many details means you're lying. <laughs> I mean, on. anyways. So there was a single chair in the middle of the room. And as he like walked closer to the chair, he noticed that the room started to like grow darker. And he like started to see like bright lights, like spots start appearing across like the room in the darkness. Mm. And so as he sat, like he sat down in the chair and once he sat down, like, everything was like a planetarium like it was just he was like in the pilot's room yeah and so like when he sat down it was like the room transformed into like here you are in space here's your map point to where you want to go and we'll go and we'll zoom off and then he so there was on the right arm of the chair there was like all these different buttons and fucking travis of course started pushing all the fucking buttons of course travis travis is not very smart i mean he goes straight to the chair you go to the ufo bro you're you're not doing the right thing here so it pushes all the buttons nothing happens and then on the left arm there's like a i picture like a little gear shift or like a little video game yeah and so he starts like moving the little toggle thingy or even like in a wheelchair like how people steer themselves in a wheelchair And he said that the stars would, like, start to move as he would move it. And then when he would stop it, they would stop. So it's like he was steering the ship or something with that little thing. And then he was like, okay, I'm, like, steering the ship or something. I'm going to crash us. I'm going to kill myself. I need to stop. So he gets up. Smartest move he's ever made yet. Right. Good job, Travis. So he gets up and you are not a qualified pilot. Congratulations. Good job. Good job for seeing that. So then he, like, is still looking at the chair, and he hears something behind him. So he turns around, and that's when he sees this human in a blue, in blue coveralls and a glass helmet. And he's like, oh, thank God. Like a real person? Okay. That's what he thinks. (laughs) You guys didn't just see the look I gave her. Um, Anyways, so at that time, he didn't realize that the human's eyes were not normal, but they were larger than normal and gold. Oh. Um, the man didn't say anything to him, just smiled and gestured for Travis to come with him. 
And also, like, trying to make it, like, no, it's okay. I'm one of you. You can be trustworthy. But does that also remind you of something? The fact that this person never spoke and only smiled? Yes, Andrew Cold. Yeah. Except he doesn't have gold eyes. Yeah, that part. But this makes me think of Men in Black a lot. But, I mean, supposedly they were alien. They were the Men in Black. People. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Travis went with him, and he took him to this room where three other humans were, and, um, but these, the three other people didn't have the glass helmets on. Um, Travis started to, like, ask him all these questions, but all they did was sit there and smile at him. Gross. Very. Um, at one point, they grabbed his arm, took him to a table, and these three humans, oh, I already said that, they weren't wearing their glass helmets, whatever. Um, but there was a woman and she held an oxygen mask to his face and before he could even fight back, he passed out. Oh no. Next thing he remembers is waking up at a gas station in a town over from Snowflake. Oh good. So he see, he wakes up and he sees one of the disc ships, um, just above the highway, a little bit away from him. He sees it and then he watches it fly off and then he finds a phone, calls Mike and he's like, you know, where are you at? Like, I've just been gone a few hours. And he's like, bruh, you've been gone for five days. Like, two hours. You've been gone for five days. Like, everybody's fucking looking for you. So, Mike goes and gets Travis. And they automatically drive to Phoenix and go to a civilian UFO research group. Um, and so, they're, they're like, no, we're going to examine him. And I'm, I think it's that same scope, the one dude that didn't want him to pee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they go there Frank, to get him. whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and then the National Choir, National Enquirer got wind of everything and was like, okay, well, we'll fund all of this stuff for you as long as we can have access to him and talk to him. So they agreed. all over the place. Yeah. So Travis went there, and he was hypnotized. And um, the one thing that was weird to them is, like, his story was 100% the same from when he was hypnotized to when he was awake, which usually there's at least some difference or, like, they'll remember more stuff when they were hypnotized or whatever, but it was literally exactly the same. Hmm. Um, and then there was literally only, like, two hours of everything that he remembered. And when they tried to, like, push further and, like, look into um, what, like, he had blacked out, Travis said that there was an impenetrable men mental block and if the um, regression continued, that he would die. So almost like the aliens, like, put something in him to, like, no, if he tells you any of this, we'll, like, make his brain explode or something. He's fucking lying. You're the... I hate telling you alien stories. I hate it. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> anyways, I thought that was fucking creepy. But anyways. He's lying. So the meta's mother set this whole thing up. So the medical exam then said that everything was pretty normal and like he was healthy and like nourished and everything, but he had a red spot in the crease of his elbow that looked like an injection, but it wasn't near a vein. Um, and then they tested his pee and found a lack of ketones, um, which meant that he had been like well nourished. Cause like if you go a certain amount of time without like eating or drinking, you should have like super high ketone levels. And okay. since his were so low, that means that he was well-nourished or thriving. Yeah, he was in his mom's basement. <laughs> but he, he was. 
Um, okay, anyways, with my groundbreaking theories over here, um, <laughs> they also found it odd that, like, all of his friends said that he was thrown, like, by this beam of light and stuff, and, like, there was no bruises on him or anything like that. Um, the Inquirer then requested a polygraph from Travis, at which, I guess the polygraph person was like, so I heard that in the past you and your brother-in-law used to smoke weed. And that's relevant because... Apparently because he smoked weed back in the day, that just makes his entire story incredible. Well, uh... It was 75. You really think everybody wasn't smoking weed in 75? (coughs) Anyways. Boy. We have our own. I told you the story had to do with weed, too. Told you it was going to come up. So, yeah, that all happened. I imagine and, it makes him hallucinate as well. Yeah, and all of that stuff. And so, like, this, I guess this person that was giving him this polygraph test was just, like, being a total bitch to him and was, like, riling him up the whole time. And so it came back that it was, in, or, like, that he was lying or whatever because he was riled up and... His blood pressure went up. Right. And so everybody was like, no, like, we're not going to let this polygraph get out because it was fucking false. So they kept it a secret and he later took two more polygraphs that he passed. Um, but then, of course, so, like, everybody was totally on board. Like, no, like, this totally happened. Then, of course, the hidden one came out and everybody got super skeptic. Like, oh, well, look at this hidden one and blah, blah, blah. Then they started thinking that it all happened for money and Mike didn't want to continue his contract. So he did all of this just to use the, oh, what did they say? Like, the act of God clause so he could get out of his contract without having to pay for it. So it was all Mike's idea. What? But, like, but literally the whole time that Travis was missing, like, he never mentioned anything of that. He never mentioned the act of God clause. Like, he had no, no intention of cashing in. Something. Yeah, like, he decided not to continue because he was scared of what he saw. Like, I thought that was fucked up. Um... Another theory was that some people think that he just hit his head really hard and then went to, like, some fucked up hospital and got drugged or something, but that was debunked because literally no hospitals in the area had him on record or had any record of, like, a John Doe with a head Head injury injury. or, yeah, so that was completely debunked. And he didn't have any head injuries. Yeah, even when the medical examiner, like, they said, like, you have no bruises, you have, like, you're fine. Um... And then the last theory was that maybe he was just inspired by Betty and Barney and a new TV show had come out about aliens and I guess Mike had watched a couple episodes and so they were like, oh, well, he got all of his ideas from the TV show and they planned it all and blah, 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 blah. Um, But since then, Travis has written a book and they made a movie about him, but I mean, even he admits that the movie was very over-exaggerated because, I mean, he doesn't remember a lot of his story. Uh Uh-huh. Um. But you remember that the room was 16 feet by 10 feet. (laughs) It was just that two hours, Amanda. That two hours. That's all he needed. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, in 2016, he was on Ghost Adventures with our good old friend, Zach. Um, and then- For what? Who the fuck knows? I need to look it up. Ghosts and aliens are not the same. Not at all, but I'm curious. I need to look it up. Um, and then last thing I'm gonna say, so in 2017, um- the Frontier Analysis Limited organization reported that the soil composition directly beneath the UFO that night, um, so they had found two abnormalities in that soil, and I guess the iron was, like, ridiculously high, 
And then calcium, magnesium, and potassium were also much higher. And, like, there's usually, like, a scientific reason why, like, the calcium, magnesium, and potassium could be high. But iron should never be high, like, with that same reason. But, so, like, literally the only explanation that there could be was literally a UFO. Because I guess, like, the hovering aspect of it causes, like, a specific magnetic pull that causes, like, all of the iron in the foil to rise to the top of it. And that's, like the only reason why that plus all of the other things could have been at such a high level at that point. Interesting. So I think you guys know Amanda thinks this is all bullshit. I'm totally on board. Travis you know our size. Made this up. <laughs> I totally think you're true, Travis. I think something happened to you. Absolutely not. You're a fucking liar. So uh, head on over to our Facebook and tell us what you think, guys. Are you team Haley or team Amanda? <laughs> So everybody knows this story. Okay, I'm excited. What is it? Um, this week I am doing the People's Temple. Drink that in. Oh, that's the Kool Aid Man, yeah. Flavor Aid, but yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Flavor Aid. It's cheaper. Okay. Sorry. You Sorry. Find it at the dollar store. But Kool Aid's so much better, though. <laughs> So much better. Anyways. So, <laughs> <laughs> so James or Jim Warren Jones was born May 13th, 1931, in a rural part of Crete, Indiana. Fucking Taurus. <laughs> Sorry, I know very few Tauruses that I enjoy company of. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> so his parents were James. Thurman Jones and Lynette Putnam. His father was a World War One vet and was also 15 years older than Lynette. Ew. They didn't specifically mention that, but I noticed it and I was uncomfortable. To a each bit. their own. I mean, no, it's not it just. I don't know how old she was when they got together or whatever. So I mean, I guess I shouldn't make judgment calls. Don't but look at her mother. Anyhow, <laughs> um. In 1934, when Jim was three, the family hit financial hardship, and they moved to Lynn, Indiana, and Jim was raised in a small shack with no plumbing. Oh. Yeah. Good. Great start. Sorry, Jim. As a youngster, Jim... Oh my god, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Please don't die. Uh, Jim became an avid reader and developed an obsession with religion. He studied men like Stalin, Marx, Gandhi, and Mao. Okay, those are all very different people. Oh, yeah. Okay. just <laughs> You were just going to slide past that, but all right. You said well, Stalin mean, and Gandhi, and I was like, hold up. <laughs> Gandhi's the only one that doesn't belong in there, really, but... Well, yeah. it's still the two. Like, Stalin and Gandhi were the two biggest names that hit me. And Marx? Yeah, but all very, very, very different people. Yes. Very different. Um, other kids referred to him as, quote, a really weird kid obsessed with death and religion. So are you just like, you just want to hit all sides of it? Like you want to hit all the good parts and the bad parts? I don't know. There's a lot to him. Okay, Jim. This is long. I am sorry. Yeah, guys, this is going to be a long episode, but you missed a week, so suck it up. (laughs) We got you two in one here. 
Yeah, this is very long. It's fine. Um, <laughs> blah, 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 dabbing religion. It was said that Jim often held funerals for small animals, and he once stabbed a cat to death. Oh, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. McDonald triad, number one. Um, Jim told everybody that his father was part of the KKK, and that he... Um, he and his father argued all the time because of it. Okay, but was he really in the KKK? I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, but if he wasn't, why the fuck would you say that about your father? I don't know. What is... Jim! Jim! Okay. I don't know if he was a dirtbag, like, abusive dad. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, Jim, still, not a very good thing to say about your father. Yes, yeah, well, he was telling everybody, and he's like, yeah, we argue all the time, because he's Oh, because you're high and mighty and don't believe in that type of shit? <laughs> okay. Well, he says he didn't talk to his father for many years, because he refused to let any of his black friends into the house. I have a lot to say, but just continue. At some point or another, I'm not sure when, I couldn't find a specific year, but... Lynette and James separated. Lynette took Jim, and they moved to Richmond, Indiana, where Jim would eventually graduate from high school. He graduated early in December of 1948 with honors. Isn't that where Alicia lives? No, but in Indiana, yes, but oh, not there. (laughs) Well, good job uh, graduating with honors, you fucking psycho. Well, the best part is, like, you're not going to think psycho until like the last page of this okay maybe i'm thinking psycho already just because i know so let me push that aside just assume that you're a normal i mean i'm not trying now. to say that he was a good man so don't like say no hearing. no i just i'm trying to not i want to get the full story and not just from the get-go know that you're a piece of shit even though i mean you're already showing signs that you're a piece of shit yeah but i mean i don't know if anybody really noticed back in the 30s well, yeah, and I mean, if you had a piece of shit father and yeah, all you had you was probably cats. probably did act out, you know. Yeah. I mean, that was and probably there was, a thing. Yeah, and that was a different, there was different ways of acting out in the 30s than there are now. But he was, you know, highly intelligent and, you know. Wasn't Dahmer also very intelligent? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, less than a year after he graduated, Jim married, I think it's Marceline. That's what it looks like to me. Not that you know, but I'm going to show you. Yeah, uh, that's what I was saying. Marceline. Yeah, Marceline Baldwin. The couple <laughs> moved to... <laughs> they moved to Bloomington, Indiana. Marceline worked as a nurse, and Jim went to attend um, Indiana University in Bloomington. Marceline worked as a nurse. Nope, just said that. I'm literally in my Heart of Dixie show right now, like, because they live in Bluebell, Alabama, and there's a woman named Magnolia and Lemon. <laughs> oh, jeez, Lord. Okay, <laughs> continue. All right. So, yeah, he, he was attending Indiana University Bloomington. He was inspired by a speech by Eleanor Roosevelt mm. about the difficulties of African Americans. So you're obsessed with, obsessed with black people. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Are you black? You're not. I mean, obviously. He is definitely not. If you said your father was in the KKK, I'm going to go ahead and assume (laughs) you were not. (laughs) He he was not. Um. (coughs) I don't know why I'm dying. You have water. I know. know. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's fine. In 1951, the couple moved to Indianapolis. Jim attended in Indiana University for two years, and then he took night classes at Butler University to finish off his degree in secondary education, which he finished in 1961. Keep in mind, that was 10 years after he started school. Oh, so it took you 10 years to get to your degree. Mm-hmm. All right. Good job. <laughs> Interesting. In 1951, the year that he and Marceline had moved to Indianapolis, it was really a turning point for him. Okay. Uh, He started going to meetings for the Communist Party. He attended an event during the McCarthy hearings, which I had to look up because <laughs> I'm uneducated. <laughs> yeah, because when I hear McCarthy, I either think of Jesse or Paul. Anyway, yeah, it was it was a whole big thing with the army, and this guy said that he he could give you a list of like two hundred and eight people that were actually communists, but they were claiming to be something else. I don't. It was a whole thing. Huh. I guess. Okay. Well, alrighty. So they went to this event during the McCarthy hearings. It was focused on Paul Robeson. He was basically he was a black communist. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so I'm sure you have a lot of friends nowadays. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he's around anymore, but Well, I Afterwards, his mother was harassed by the FBI in front of her coworkers and it pissed him off. He Why was, was she in- harassed by the FBI? Because they were at the basically a communist rally. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, um. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) He was frustrated by the fact that communism and communist supporters in the United States were being persecuted. Hmm. It was during this time that Jim claims to have asked himself, quote, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? The thought was infiltrate the church. End quote. I want to say something so bad, but but we we just need to talk about it later. (laughs) Okay. Because he just reminds me of somebody current and... Yes. Okay. In 1952, Jim got his start in the church when a Methodist district supervisor surprisingly agreed to give him a chance regardless of his known communist stance. Mm-hmm. He became a student pastor at Somerset Southside Methodist Church, but left the church when they refused to let him integrate people of color into the congregation. Okay. It was at this time that Jim had witnessed a faith healing service at a Seventh-day Baptist church, and that was when he decided to start using these types of services to draw in a crowd and their money to accomplish his social and financial goals. Yeah, because he's a real winner. Go get your money, fool. He set forth a plan. He organized a massive religious convention that would take place June 11th to 15th, 1956. Okay. He secured a location at the Cadle or Caudle, I'm not sure, Tabernacle in Indianapolis. Apparently, it was like a bigger church back there in the time. I don't know. It still might be. I didn't look it up. Fair. Um, so, he... Where was I? Okay, he knew that he would need a bigger name in the religious world to help him draw a larger crowd because he wasn't really big. Okay. 
So he arranged for Reverend William M. Branham, or Branham. Uh, he was a healing evangelist, religious author, and televangelist. Okay. So he arranged for him to come share the stage with him. The convention was super successful and allowed Jim to start his own church that he eventually settled on the name People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. <sighs> it was around this time that Jim started studying people such as Adolf Hitler no. and Father M.J. Devine, who I'm going to talk about in another episode because I had never heard of him before today. <laughs> yeah, he's... Okay, just the name um, sounds fascinating to me. That just sounds like Mother God. Like, you and Mother God need to be best friends. Oh, you, oh, you don't need to know. Anyway. I need to know. Next week. Next so, week. <laughs> so, he started studying them so he could learn how to manipulate people in a cult. Wow! Yeah, he knew where he was headed. <laughs> I mean, at least you ain't hiding in, I guess. Like, holy fuck. If, if you're going to study Hitler, at least know that you're studying him for a good reason. Oh, he, he had a plan, and he Holy was sticking to his plan. shit, dude. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So at some point, he actually spoke to Father Divine personally. I need to know about this Father Divine. And he was told to, quote, find an enemy and make sure that they know who your enemy is, and it will unify those in your group and make them subservient to you. Ew. No. <laughs> so, this is like a little sidebar, kind of, but I felt like it was worthy okay. of being noted. <laughs> um, the New York Times reported on November 26, 1978, quote, declaring that he was outraged at what he perceived as racial discrimination in his white congregation, Mr. Jones established his own church and pointedly opened it all to ethnic groups. To raise money, he imported monkeys and sold them door-to-door -door uh, as pets. Uh, and because I read that quote, I was like, is that real? Is that a thing? Did he really do that? Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. So, so he was bribing people with monkeys? Kind of, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> so, multiple sources say that he would import them from South America and then sell them for $29 a piece door-to-door. -door take my money. <laughs> In April 1954, the Indianapolis Star ran a story about his refusal to accept a shipment of monkeys because they were all ill, so at least he was only selling healthy ones, I Oh guess. my god, I can't. Please take my... I will I will not join your cult, but I will take a monkey. <laughs> I'll pay you $30 for a monkey, but I don't want to join your cult. <laughs> what the fuck? That's like getting puppies. Like I said, that wasn't super relevant, but I felt like it was necessary. No, but that's like... <laughs> That's, that's manipulation all in itself. You're taking something that everybody wants well, he and was giving also them away? the door-to-door to, -door to spread his word, kind of, also. But still, if somebody was walking around door-to-door -door like, hey, you want a puppy? Just come to my cult. Right? <laughs> like, give me a fucking monkey. I'm gonna go to your fucking cult, bro. Like, that's smart. <laughs> I hate it, but it's smart. <laughs> in 1960, the mayor of Indianapolis... Charles Boswell appointed Jim director of the local Human Rights Commission and advised that he keep a low profile. Jim, of course, did not listen. Nah, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
He went on the radio and TV to discuss all of his views. The mayor and several of the commissioners were like, okay, Jim, we're going to need you to reel it in a bit. And Jim was like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so Jim, I kind of love you in a bit. Like, you extra as fuck, and I kind of love you for that. So he was cheered, like, highly cheered at a meeting of the NAACP and the Urban League when he yelled for his audience to be more militant and then climaxed with, let my people go. Oh my god, shut up. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) You're not Moses, bro. (laughs) I mean, he had a good point, but... (laughs) He said, let my people go. Bitch, shut the fuck up. So, Jim, truly, he really did do a lot of good in the community. He really did. Kay. He legitimately did. Okay. At least you did that, Jim. He He helped to racially integrate churches, restaurants, the telephone company, the Indianapolis Police Department, a theater, an amusement park, and the Indiana University Health Methodist Hospital. That's all you get from me, Jim. That's all you get. At one point, swastikas were being painted on the homes of black families. Mm -hmm. Jim's response to this was to walk through town comforting the local black families and counseling the white ones. Jim. He set up sting operations to catch businesses that were refusing services to people of color. Is this still like in the 40s? We're in the 60s. Good luck. You're in like the heart of segregation i mean but like i said he did a lot no and i'm and no and i i cannot say it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the guy from my work wanting to dye his hair i am proud for you for sticking up for what you believe in and for yes and absolutely stand up for these people's rights they don't deserve and the the discrimination that they're receiving yes and the fact that you are a white man and you are supporting your black men i am 110 percent for that i am all down for what you? See, he started out on such a good path, and then he took a real sharp left turn. Yeah. And that's just where I struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe that you wanted to do good, but bro. He was once hospitalized and was mistakenly placed in the, quote, black ward. So he, what, people thought he was black because he wanted no, to, they because he supported the black, so I think they, they threw just, him in the black ward? They probably didn't have a room or somebody screwed up in the books or something. I don't oh. know. But he refused to be moved after they had realized that they made the mistake, and he raised such hell that it actually caused the hospital to desegregate. Wow. So he, so they were like, oh, well, you're white. You don't need to be in the black ward. And he was like, no, I'm fine. And that caused such a big fuss between them that... Well, he raised such hell about it in Link. Well, I'm no, good for you. I'm proud of you, but I just, I think it's sad that it caused hell that yeah it raised hell because he was like no i can stay over here yeah i'm fine where i am yeah that wow yeah it was a different time it really was (laughs) and i probably am gonna say a lot of things that don't sound good and it's not my beliefs i promise you no we we have no agreement with any of this please believe us (laughs) he of course was very controversial and highly criticized for his progressive views of racial equality but i'm proud of you this placed a target on him, though. Of course. A swastika was placed on his temple. A stick of dynamite was left in the temple coal pile. 
a dead cat was thrown at his house after a threatening phone call had been made, among other incidents. But why the kitty? I don't know. Why Why is it always a cat? Yeah, why kill the cat? Lucifer. I know. In 1954, Jim and Marceline adopted their first child. Her name was Agnes. She was part Native American. I promise the fact that I'm listing out all of these races is relevant. Promise. No, but I love that, that you adopted a little African American baby. Two Native American. Sorry, Native American baby. (laughs) That's what I meant. In 1959, they adopted three Korean American children. Their names were... Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne. Oh, so okay. I just picture Angel- Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Yeah, kind of. Except <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Not as holy. After he did that, he started encouraging his temple members to adopt orphans from the quote war ravaged Korea. Oh, was this during the Korean War? Uh, I think it was probably close to it, or somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't know. Well, no, you said it was the 60s. The Korean War was more... In 59, they adopted them, so... Oh, so probably right after. Yeah. Um, They had their first biological son in June of that same year. His name was... I'm not sure if it's Stefan or Steven. Don't know how they pronounced it. Fair. His middle name is Gandhi. In 1961, they became the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child, whom they named James Warren Jones Jr., Mm. which I think is just the most... Anyway. Uh, Yeah, like, you took... You didn't name your biological son after you, but... You picked the black one. And he was clearly making a statement. I... Anyway. Sir, you were, <laughs> you were trying to be a different race. No, and I, like I said, I support racial equality. No, 100%, and I do too. But the fact that he was taking it. I feel like he was trying to be. He was almost being disrespectful about it while trying to support it. Does that make sense? Yes. Like I, I can sit here as a white woman and support my black friends, but I'm not trying to be black or think that I need to be black to feel empowered to I don't know support them just, or something. For me there's something specific about the fact that he chose his African American son not to name after him. Not his birth son. Yeah, no, there's there's something more cynical there and it's not just supporting a Black Lives Matter or something along those lines. No, no, no. There was something more personal in that for yeah, him for like, sure. There's and it's weird. Personally I feel like it's it is a, like he takes it too far and it almost makes it disrespectful. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like, it's almost like I don't want to say cultural appropriation because I hate but kind that of, word, but kind but of, kind of it is. Like you, you're literally trying to make yourself into like you. You gave your name to this little black baby when it could have been your flesh and blood. Like you, but you made I don't it. A, know. I don't. Maybe it's, that's not relevant. But to me, it does. Feel no, it just it, it did. It it pointed out to me too, though. So guys, please don't take us like we're trying to be disrespectful. But no, honestly, I feel like he was being disrespectful yes. in that he. I to me, it was just he took it too far and made it too much about himself. It wasn't yes. about the racial inequality anymore. No, he made it. Yeah, it was way too personal at that point. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Sorry for that. <laughs> that was just irritating. Yeah, it's I don't, it's I don't know why it really bothered me so it much. It bothers like, me too, though. Also, when I listen to I listen, my favorite murder did this, and I'm doing it for the cult 
aspect, they did it for the murder part. But right. Georgia and Karen felt the same way. Like, the fact that he chose... You had all these kids. You could have named any of them after yourself. And you chose this well, one the, specifically. You had... Like, a, what? What? because there's six now, and only one of them is biological, and you didn't pick the biological son? It's not even like you had a biological daughter, and you just couldn't... I don't know. There just seems something... It's something weird. Yeah. There, it's weird, guys. There's and even Georgia... Weird. Even Georgia felt like it was disrespectful, and she yeah. was like, I don't know about this. Like, No, it, there's... There's, There's just, just something, something more. more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Do, do, do. They also adopted a little white boy named Tim. And See? He, and why? Sorry. Ah! Okay. Well, this one was adopted <laughs> by one of the other, from one of the other temple members. I think he was like. Oh, so now we're getting into like David's status. Think, we're well, like, we're all family. No, we haven't reached that yet. Okay. <laughs> okay, fair. They, I don't, I, I don't know if they were just trying to help her out or. Oh, I don't okay. Know what it was, but okay. They adopted the baby. Um. Where were I? Oh. So yeah, he started calling this his rainbow family. Mm. He was quoted as saying, "Integration is more a personal thing with me now. It's a question of my son's future." Your See son. What I'm saying? Your and son. I just put in my sidebar that pretty much started what we were just talking about. So this is where I literally have to point out that racial equality solely for the good of man was not his intentions. It was more of a, oh, look at me and how good I am. I fight for equal rights, whatever. But honestly, you didn't racism, really give a fuck. Now I'm going to take it back to Father Divine. Remember that enemy he said to find that would unify everyone? Oh, racism. That's the one he chose. Fucking racism. No, that, you, you have six or seven kids at this point and you said, my son, my, my son's future, my, my one child's future. That is what you said. He did. That is, yeah, you have all these children and you only care about the one. But you only care about the one that happens to be black that you happen to also name after yourself. Which, honestly, I feel like you were using the fuck out of that poor little baby. No, but and anyway. that is horrible <laughs> to that poor child that he was used as a pawn in your fucking rise to fame or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. Ooh, I am irritated. I am sorry. <laughs> in 1962, Jim was preaching about the fears of nuclear holocaust and read an article in the Esquire magazine that had mentioned... Belo Horizonte, it's in Brazil, and they said it was a safe city from nuclear attacks. So naturally, he decided that he needed to move his family and build another temple there. Of course. The family rented a house so Jim could study the economy and see how well his message would be received. Where was this, you said? Belo Horizonte in Brazil. In Brazil, okay. So you straight up moved to a fucking different country. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, yeah, he wanted to see how well his message would be received by the minorities there. There was a lack of resources in the area, so in mid-1963, they ended up moving to Rio de Janeiro to work with the poor. But Jim started to feel bad about leaving the civil rights struggle in Indiana behind. He was told that the temple was on the verge of collapse without him, and he was afraid of losing what he had built, so he went back. (laughs) He went to Brazil and was like, Go back to Indiana. Yeah, pretty much. Didn't work out the way he wanted, I'm sure. Hop in, bitch. We're going back to Indiana. 
So this was December of 63 when they moved back to Indianapolis. All right. As soon as he got back, he told the congregation that there was going to be a massive nuclear war starting July 15th, 1967, and that it would bring socialist Eden, so they all needed to pack up and move to Northern California, you know, for safety reasons. <coughs> What's in Northern California? Uh, I don't know. That's safe. Safety? No. <laughs> That's the last place you want to go. In the nuclear attack, really, though? I don't even understand. Yeah. No. This one town, it'll be fine. It's Everything good. will just go around it. Yeah. Out of everywhere in North America, it's probably, like, right there, like, on the shoreline where they're like, nah, the bomb won't reach this far. It won't go far. this far. Yeah. <laughs> so, they all packed up and they moved to Redwood Valley near Ukiah in California. Mm-hmm. This part is a direct quote, and it's because it's from a religious studies professor named Catherine Wessinger. Mm -hmm. According to her, Jones always spoke of the social gospel's virtues, but he chose to conceal that his gospel was actually communism until the late 60s. By that time, he began partially revealing the details of his own, quote, apostolistic, apost I don't know. Apostolistic? No, apost. Apostolic, apostolic, <laughs> <laughs> socialism, <laughs> the concept in the temple sermons. He also taught that those who <coughs> remained drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enlightenment. The or opiate socialism. of religion. Yes. <coughs> okay. He often mixed these ideas, such as preaching, quote, if you're born in a capitalist America, racist America, fascist fascist america then you're born in sin but if you're born in socialism you're not born in sin so america i'm here to announce we are all born in sin which obvi may god have <laughs> release on yours or may god have what what did mercy they say yes there we go souls. may god have mercy i don't even <laughs> jesus we're all going to hell <laughs> so by the early 70s jim began deriding Christianity as, quote, flying away religion, rejecting the Bible as being a tool to oppress women and non-whites, and denouncing a sky god who was no god at all. <laughs> he wrote a booklet titled The Letter Killeth, criticizing King James Bible. Jones also began preaching that he was reincarnated of Gandhi, Father Divine, Jesus, God, Buddha. <laughs> and Buddha. Well, I don't know the other words. So it's fine. Buddha and Vladimir Lenin, formal temple temple member Hugh Fortison Jr. quoted him as saying, "What you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend, and if you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you that don't have a father, and if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. If you see me as God, I'll be your God." Um, okay. In I mean, anybody <laughs> can say that, can't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. In a 1976 phone conversation with John Mayer... Uh, like, do you not, not... No. Okay. I was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you made a point to tell me that it wasn't that one, because you knew that's what my mind is going to go to. Your body is one land. Not that one. <laughs> Different one. Um, Jones alternately said that he was an agnostic and an atheist. Oh. Marcelin 
Jones admitted in 1977 New York Times interview that Jones was trying to promote Marxism in the U.S. by mobilizing people through religion, citing Mao as his inspiration. Quote, Jim used religion to try to get some people out of the opiate of religion. Hmm. Used religion to get them out of religion. Makes so much sense. <laughs> he had slammed the Bible on the table yelling, I've got to destroy this paper idol. In one sermon, Jones said, you're going to help yourself or you'll get no help. There's no hope of glory that's within you. Nobody's going to nobody's gonna come out of the sky. There's no heaven up there. We have to make a heaven here. So what the... F- what? What? Bro, I don't want to believe in your religion because that shit sounds like it sucks. Right? <laughs> like, you're telling me that there's nothing better out there, so I just have to make best of what I have here? Yeah, pretty much. In today, in 2020, that no, don't sound, you. no, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Within five years of moving to California, the temple had so much growth that they had locations in San Fernando, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much room for growth in Ukiah, so Jim started to focus more heavily on the larger cities. He eventually moved the headquarters to San Francisco, where they became influential in the political world. Of course they did. Of course they did. Jim politics. <laughs> Jim even became the chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. Hmm. In September of 76, California Assemblyman Willie Brown served as a master of ceremonies at a large testimonial dinner that was actually for Jim. And the governor and lieutenant governor were there. At that same dinner, Brown said that Jones, this is a quote, he said, what you should, he is what you should see every day when you look in the mirror and said that he was a combination of Martin Luther King Jr., Angela Davis, Albert Einstein, and Mao, Mao Zedong. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just Martin Luther King Jr. and Albert Einstein mixing one. That alone. That's freaking fantastic. <laughs> but don't worry, this is where it all starts to come unraveled. <laughs> Alrighty, Jim. So even though Jim had a lot of connections and he had tons of allies, he still faced a lot of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Reporter Marshall Kilduff wrote an article in the New West magazine in the summer of 1977. Jones and several hundred temple members abruptly decided to move to temples, the temple's compound in Guyana after they learned that the contents of Kilduff's article included allegations by former temple members that they were physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. Oh! Jonestown. Wow. (laughs) When you said sharp left, you meant sharp left. Oh, all the way left. (laughs) All, like, you made a (laughs) U-turn. That's what you did. You didn't make a left turn. You made a (laughs) U-turn. So he had already been working away in Guyana, building his little compound. It was originally called the People's Temple Agricultural Product project Hmm. it was meant to be a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from the media scrutinization and eventually became a communist community jim did not let members leave the compound Hmm. it's argued that he started to lose his authority after they moved there because he couldn't hide his drug addiction from anyone else anymore are we on opioids potentially is it the opioid of religion 
how, what I, drug I never actually to. found out what he was on, but if he, he has to be, he has to be addicted to like opioids. Cocaine or something. You're talking about opioid opioids of religion. You're addicted to fucking opioids. <laughs> like, oh, probably. <laughs> that's my only conclusion. Probably so. Um, he began to promote his belief in which he termed translation once they were in Jonestown, where he and his followers would all would all die together and move to another planet to live blissfully. Oh, guys, and this is where it gets bad. Jim also fathered two other children with other women from the temple. So you had like ten kids. Um, I think like seven or eight. <laughs> Did they all go with him? Um, the we'll babies. Get there. Oh, I don't want to. In late 77, people that had left the temple created a group called the Concerned Relatives. They still had family members that were in the temple, and they were genuinely concerned relatives. (laughs) I can imagine. So this group released a lot of information that caused Jim to lose a lot of credibility, as well as most of his political allies. Huh. It got even worse after he hired JFK assassination conspiracy theorists Mark Lane and Donald Freed to help make the case of a grand conspiracy against the temple by the U.S. intelligence agencies. You're an idiot. You shot yourself in the foot, my friend. You really did. Like, wow. Like, intentionally shot yourself in the foot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, didn't even try to miss. In November of 78, Congressman Leo Ryan led a fact-finding mission to Jonestown to investigate some allegations of human rights abuses. He had a delegation, including members of the Concerned Relatives group that were working with him. They arrived on the 15th to Georgetown. Two days later, they made it to Port Ketuma, and from there, they took a limo to Jonestown. Mm -hmm. On the night of the 17th, when they arrived, Jim held a huge reception for the delegation. It was like a big party, a big dinner, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. They all hurriedly left on the 18th because a temple temple member had attempted to stab the congressman. What the fuck? (laughs) When they left, they took 15 of the members with them that had asked, like, please take us with you kind of thing. Like the temple members? Yeah. Oh. So 15 of them went with the congressman because they were like, save us. (laughs) Please Please help me. Yeah. (laughs) Us in a cult. That I'm in a cult. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you and I were in a cult, we would go up to anybody. Hi, can you please save me right now? Yeah. I'm not where I oh. need to be. <laughs> I didn't mean to come here. So as these members of the delegation boarded the two planes at the airstrip, Jones's armed guards called the Red Brigade, led by Joe Wilson, Thomas Keist Sr., and Ronnie Dennis, arrived on a tractor and trailer and began shooting. Some of... <laughs> on a tractor like some true redneck um, <laughs> I'm sorry some of the <laughs> can you just I just in I my can't. mind I see like some fucking Joe Exotic fucking yes that's all I see with some rifles like come here you bitch <laughs> I don't even know defecting temple members were armed as well and they tried to they tried to start defending against the attack after the shootout five of them were killed at the airstrip they were congressman ryan and nbc reporter don harris nbc cameraman bob brown san francisco examiner photographer greg robinson and temple member patricia parks Hmm. they had all passed away in this shootout i'm sorry 
Later that same day, 909 inhabitants of Jonestown, 304 of them being children, died in an apparent cyanide poisoning. 300 and what? 304 of the 909. Oh, for babies. Roughly a third. For children? Oh my Jesus. Um, This resulted in the single greatest loss of American civilian life, murder-suicide, though not on American soil, in a deliberate act. No, because they were in Guyana. Which is where? In Brazil? Don't ask me geography questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, so in in a deliberate act, it was the largest loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act all the way up until September 11th happened. Oh, my Lord. Uh. The FBI later recovered a 45-minute audio recording of the suicide in progress. On that tape, Jim tells Temple members that the Soviet Union, with whom the Temple had been negotiating a potential exodus for months, would not take them after the airstrip murders. What? So you're going to kill yourself and nobody's going to come and get you? No, he's saying that the supposedly they had a whole deal with the Soviet Union and they were supposed to come take them. Oh. Whatever. But oh, okay. now they're not going to come get them anymore. So now we have to we have to do our suicide thing so we can leave. Wow. Um... The reasons given by Jim to commit suicide were consistent with his previously stated conspiracy theories of intelligence organizations allegedly conspiring against the temple that men would, quote, parachute in here on us, shoot some of our innocent babies, they'll torture our children, they'll torture our people here, they'll torture our seniors. So instead, you just said to go ahead and just kill them off before they get fucking tortured? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh! Okay. Jim's prior statements that hostile forces would convert captured children to fascism would lead many members who held strong opposing views to fascism to view the suicide as valid. With that reasoning, Jim and several other members argued that the group should commit revolutionary suicide. (laughs) (laughs) Suicide. (laughs) Suicide. Yeah, revolutionary uh, suicide by drinking cyanide-laced grape-flavored Flavor-Aid. Fucking Kool-Aid, man. Later released Temple film. Later released Temple films show that Jim was opening a storage container full of Flavor-Aid, and in large quantities. However, empty packets of grape Flavor-Aid found at the scene show that this was used to mix the solution along with a sedative. Oh, oh he had a full container of Kool-Aid, but they used the Flavor-Aid. Um, so Kool-Aid was just too good for him. I guess. I don't know. Fucking weirdo. Makes no sense. No. Oh, so you just flavored the fucking cyanide with grape Kool-Aid and called it a day. Put a little bit of sleep meds in there to calm you down. Yeah, I'm going to skip through some of this stuff because it's not all the way necessary. Um, Some of his other quotes, though, were... Like, when people would start crying and kind of, like, freaking out because, you know. They're dying? Yeah. He would say, stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists or communists to die. No way for us to die at all. We must die with some dignity. Oh, God. Don't be afraid to die. 
It's just stepping over into another plane. Wow. Go fuck yourself, Jim. Apparently, Marceline had initially protested killing the children. She was forcibly restrained and then joined the other adults in poisoning herself. So she didn't want to kill the kids, so you restrained her and then decided that she was just going to go with the other adults probably after she found out that you killed all the kids anyway. Probably, yes. Wow. He said at the end of the tape, quote, We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of a inhumane world. Go fuck yourself. Um, According to some of the members that had escaped, children were given the drink first by their own parents. Families were then told to lie down together. No. Um, They had actually practiced this before it was something that they called white nights and they would just drink regular not laced kool-aid but he would tell them it was poison and they would just like do it i think he was mostly just trying to weed out the weak (laughs) at this point but you still got 900 people yeah (sighs) oh guys that is terrifying um after the murder suicide he was found dead with a like on laying on a pillow next to his desk with an apparent gunshot wound to the head. Oh, so you didn't even go out like the rest of them. See, and that's kind of unclear. His son believes that he may have had somebody else shoot him and then go drink the Kool-Aid. But other people are like, no, we're pretty sure he shot himself. So I'm not 100% sure what happened there, but... I uh, Like, you can convince... You took the easy way out, though. You convinced... Nine more than nine hundred people to drink cyanide and give it to their children and suffer while they died, and then you just shot yourself in the head. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. fuck yourself, bro. His daughter Suzette had left the temple many, many years before this, and she was good for there. you. Um, the three sons were the only other surviving members of the family, and it was because they were all out playing basketball. Ah. <gasps> uh. Guys, never let anybody convince you to end your own life. Oh, but I do believe that I saw that um, the one son, Lou, mm-hmm. I believe he, his wife, and his daughter were all there for the suicide thing. Ugh. But the two white boys and the little, the little African-American boy, they lived. <laughs> Guys, don't let people do that. Ugh. I, uh, that's just, let's go back to my alien story. Yeah, sorry to leave it on such a tragic, terrible note. Well, just go follow our social medias. Tell us if you're on Join theme. Patreon and you can see our fun Halloween video. And that too. Go watch all of our videos on Patreon. Eventually we're going to get some more done. It's been a rough little couple of weeks for us. But. It has. <laughs> we'll get it done. Go tell us if you're Team Amanda or Team Haley when it comes to the aliens. Don't convince people to drink cyanide. Don't let anybody convince you to drink cyanide. I don't know. Fucking be smart, guys. Thank you for listening. That's smart. Yep. Be smart. Listen to us. And don't leave the the house. house. (laughs) Don't leave the house, dude. I love you.